So look forward to that. It should be a fun time, exciting time. I, from time to time, people ask me, um, after a sermon, were, were you thinking about me this week when you, when you wrote this sermon? Or, or, or they may ask, you know, who, who do you think about when you write these sermons? Or, you know, if it's a particularly um, aggressive sermon, they might say, who, who were you mad at this week? And, it, and I just want to say it's none of that. I, I can't, and this, don't be offended by this, but I can't afford to think about y'all <laughs> while I'm preparing a sermon. Uh, because it, it would cause me to do one of two things. Either, either I would preach things that I shouldn't preach, or I would not preach things that I should preach. And so, uh, generally, I, I think about two people when I prepare a sermon. I, I think about Jesus, and I think about myself, really. Um, and so, usually, what you get is what I need. And so, hopefully... Uh, as I grow in the Lord by preaching what he's teaching me, uh, you will grow as well. So that's my hope at least. Uh, I want you to turn today, if you have a Bible with you, if you don't, we'll, we'll throw it up on the screen. Uh, Mark chapter 10. We're going to read verses 17 uh, through 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Let me, let me just pause right there and just kind of put this in perspective. Um, so here is where this man is coming from. Uh, his favorite worship song was just a slightly different version of one of the songs that we sang today. Remember a few minutes ago we sang, All My Life You Have Been Faithful, All My Life You Have Been So, So Good. His favorite song was, All My Life I Have Been Faithful, all my life, I have been so, so good. That's really where he's coming from. He, he is hoping that he has done enough and been good enough. That's why he's asking the question. Uh, he wants to be affirmed. Uh, what do I have to do? And he's really excited when Jesus starts talking about the law because he says, teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Verse 21 Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man, 
This is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions. I kind of threw that part in there. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Jesus, thank you for your word. Uh, we declare that your word is true. And that we love it most of the time. Sometimes it cuts us. And, and we're even more thankful, I think, for those times. Because that's where we need to be changed and stretched and transformed. And so I pray that today you would speak to us. And that we would hear your voice. In Jesus' name. Amen. So again, keep in mind that uh, this is a sermon I wrote to myself um, this week. Uh, so, so Jesus is traveling through Judea. He's teaching the people. And uh, he's just had an encounter actually with Pharisees prior to this about divorce. They're asking him questions about divorce. And they, they don't really want to know answers to questions about divorce. They're just asking him things as they always do to try to get him to say something that would be unpopular that would cause people to stop following him or, or make the crowd angry. They always have an agenda. Uh, right after that conversation, uh, the uh, children come. Children are coming, and, and the disciples are trying to stop the children and keep them away. And Jesus says, don't do that. Bring the children. Uh, unless you have the faith of a child, you all know that story. And he wants to welcome the children. And then uh, he's leaving there and going to another place. And as they're going along, he's approached by this guy. And we, we call this man a rich young ruler. That's how we refer to him in Scripture. And uh, he asks Jesus, he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And there are, there are a couple of things that we need to understand from that. One is that he assumes that eternity can be possessed by doing something. That's his assumption is there's something that you have to do to earn eternal life. That's one thing. And then the second thing we can understand from him is that he hopes he's already done it. Uh, he's, he's hoping he's already done it. And he expects the answer to revolve around keeping the law. And, and he hopes that his goodness is enough. That, that's what he's hoping for. And Jesus says, first of all, why do you... Why are you calling me good? He says to Jesus, good teacher. Really what he's saying is, hey, Jesus, from one good guy to another. <laughs> That's kind of, kind of his mindset. But he says, Jesus, good teacher. And Jesus says, why are you calling me good? Nobody's good except God. And, and really the conversation could have stopped right there. Because what Jesus is saying to this guy is, I know you think you're good. I know you want me to tell you that you're good enough, that you've done enough, but the bottom line is you're not good. And the reason that you're not good is because no one is good. No one has done enough. No one has done enough because the kingdom of heaven is not something that can be earned. 
is something that's freely given. So uh, he expects the answer to revolve around keeping the law, and he hopes that his goodness is good enough. And Jesus says, you know the law, and he says, I've done that my whole life. Ever since I was a, a little boy, I've done that. And Jesus says, you lack one thing. And here's where it gets interesting, because Jesus says, you lack one thing, and then he tells him three things. You lack one thing. Sell everything, give to the poor, come, come and follow me. And so the question is, what exactly is, is it that Jesus is saying he lacks? If he lacks one thing, and Jesus says three things, then which one is it? And I'll tell you that the one thing is not give everything away. And the one thing is not give to the poor. The point is, is there anything you can't let go of? What is there in your life that will not allow you to put Jesus first? That's the point of this conversation. What is there in your life that will not allow you to put Jesus first? Because the central issue in this conversation is trust. Can you trust in Christ? Jesus basically says to him, let go of all of the things that you're trusting and all of the things that you're depending upon and have just me. Have just me. And the simple question for us today is this. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Mark Twain once said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that give me trouble, it's the parts I do understand. Make no mistake, Jesus clearly says in this passage that it's difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He says that clearly. You, you can't figure out a way to interpret this that doesn't say that. You can't twist it and turn it. You can't go back into the Greek and say, well, it really means this. He clearly says it is difficult for the rich. Verse 25, he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And let me just say that if you ate yesterday, if you slept in a bed last night, and if you traveled here today by some mode other than walking, you're rich. You're rich. We have stuff. We have stuff. And Jesus doesn't say that we're going to hell because we have stuff. He doesn't. He doesn't say that at all. But he does indicate that if the stuff we have has us, it'll be difficult for us to put him first. And so today, I want to look at this question of, is Jesus enough? And I'm going to approach it from three points of view and uh, try to see if we can arrive at some answers. So first of all, theologically. What does this mean theologically? 
is Jesus enough? And I, I just finished in RS Together classes, I just finished teaching uh, on the book of Galatians. We went through book, book of Galatians, Eric and I. I had, somebody, I had somebody call me this week and they're like, hi, I don't go to your church. I listen to your podcast. Who's Eric? So <laughs> he'll never know until he comes, right? Okay, so theologically, Paul writes the entire book of Galatians to answer this question. Is Jesus enough? The Galatian believers have been persuaded. Actually, they've been deceived by a group of people called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers have convinced them that faith in Jesus is not enough. They're telling them, you need faith in Jesus plus the law. You need to put your faith in Jesus. They're not asking them not to be Christian. They're not asking them not to have faith in Christ. They're just saying, have faith in Christ, but also follow the law, at least parts of the law, the parts that they believe are the most important. And so they're saying that they need Christ plus the law. And Paul writes a letter to the Galatians to say that salvation doesn't come through Jesus plus the law or Jesus plus good works or Jesus plus having a quiet time every day. Salvation, according to Jesus, is either faith or the law, not both. It's not a, and it's not a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's either or. And so if you want to go with the law, good luck. Good luck. Because no one has ever been able to perfectly live out the law. In fact, Paul says in Romans that the very reason that God gave us the law was to show us that we couldn't follow it and therefore to reveal our sinful nature, and our need for Christ. So if you want to go the law route, good luck. Paul also says in Romans, all have sinned and fall short. The law's not going to do it for you. So it's either the law or Christ. It's not both. It's not Christ plus the law. Now, I doubt that there's anyone, there, there may be, but I doubt that there are people here today who are trying to die on that hill. I, I don't know that there are people here today who are, you know, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to earn my way by obeying the Jewish law perfectly. I, I, I haven't met you yet if you're here. But the question is this, do we at times, allow ourselves to slip into a Judaizer mindset. And a Judaizer mindset just simply says that faith in Christ plus some behavior on my part makes me more acceptable. Faith in Christ, I'm not going to deny that, but wouldn't it be good if also, in addition to faith in Christ, I had some behaviors to make me more acceptable to God, to put me in a better standing with God. Maybe a quiet time every day. Maybe tithing would do it. Maybe witnessing every day would make me more acceptable. And, and sometimes it impacts us in this way. If you ever had something you needed to ask God for, and you thought to yourself, I can't ask God for that because I haven't fill in the blank today. Or I haven't 
fill in the blank this week. And so even the way that we approach God sometimes is hampered or hindered by what we would, we would define as poor performance on our part. I haven't done enough. I haven't measured up. I haven't earned the right to ask. And from a theological standpoint, the answer to this question is faith in Christ is enough. Faith in Christ is enough. Now, some of you, you know, you're ahead of me, you're, you're thinking, you're like, okay, well, there goes the neighborhood. Because you just said faith in Christ is enough. And now people are just going to be willy-nilly, just do whatever and, and live like crazy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that faith in Christ is enough and that faith in Christ will set off a chain reaction in you. Faith in Christ will set off a chain reaction in you. Jesus says in John chapter 3, you must be born again. He doesn't say it might be a good idea if you thought about or considered being born again. He says you must born again. Because if you live this life in the flesh, you will die in your sin. And so Jesus says you have to be born again. You have to be born of the Spirit. He's saying you need a spiritual, supernatural birth. In 2 Corinthians, Paul calls this becoming a new creation. The Greek word there literally defined is something that has never existed before. Jesus didn't come to make you better. He came to put you in the grave and raise up in your place someone who has never existed before. Born of the Spirit. Brand new. There's a chain reaction that happens. Faith in Christ results in new birth, which is means the Spirit of God coming into you. That's what new birth is. The Spirit of God coming to live inside of you. And when the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, you will change. He will change you. You will love God more. You will love your neighbor more. And you will be more generous. You will be more kind. You'll, you'll be a better version of you. Will you fight against it? Yes, you will. Does that mean you're not saved? No, it doesn't. I don't do things in order to make myself acceptable or more acceptable or to prove that I'm acceptable. I do things because the Spirit of God is in me. He is in me, and he is not satisfied with being quiet inside of me. He wants to give evidence to the world that he is inside of me. And that, and only that, is the reason anything good ever comes out of me. Jesus is enough. The Judaizers' biggest fear, you know what the Judaizers' biggest fear was? Their biggest fear was that the Spirit of God was not enough. 
It really was. They, they were afraid that living by the Spirit wouldn't be enough to change the behavior of these new Christians and that because of that, they would embarrass the church. Ever been there? I have. I've thought that about some of y'all. <laughs> I know you've thought it about me. But Jesus is enough. Faith in Jesus is enough to save you. So that's theologically. What about experiential? What about the experiential side of this? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to touch on this one thing. That uh, faith in Jesus is enough. You don't need faith in Jesus plus tears or faith in Jesus plus speaking in tongues or falling out in the spirit or faith in Jesus plus an exciting testimony. Encounter with Jesus is real because Jesus is real. Encounter with Jesus is real because you're real and Jesus is real. Sometimes it's dramatic. I had a dramatic testimony. I had a dramatic conversion. Recently at my mother-in-law's homegoing service, I said to the congregation, and they all knew it because they knew me before I was a Christian. And I said, when I gave my life to Jesus, my parents were relieved. My siblings were confused and dumbstruck. (laughs) You know who the the one person who was just over the moon happy was my mother-in-law. She was so excited. She was more excited about having her son, a son-in-law who was going to be a preacher than Melissa was maybe about having a husband that was going to be a preacher. But it worked out. She came around to that idea. So experiential. It is an encounter, and sometimes it's dramatic. Sometimes it's like jumping in the water, at the, like the ocean at the North Pole. That would be cold, right? And you would know that it was cold right away. Sometimes it's more subtle. Sometimes it's like getting in the water in the ocean at the equator where it's warm and swimming north. And at some point, it gets cold. And you may not be able to say it was warm there and it was cold there, but you you just know that it's cold. And and so God works in us in different ways. How many of you in this room were born? Right, okay. So let let me just do a a interesting um, survey. Is is there anyone here who was born um, through C-section? Okay, Steve, come up here. Was there any, anyone, can, can I say vaginal? <laughs> Melissa? I can't, say, I can't say vaginal, so if I can't say vaginal, what can I say? Natural. It's all natural. Okay. Natural. Natural birth. Somebody raise your hand. Eve, come on up here. 
We got, so here we go. Okay, now this may be my favorite one. Anybody here born in a car? Born in a car. You just, you didn't make it. You, you didn't, your parents didn't make it to the hospital, didn't get there. Born on the way to the hospital? No? No car births? Anybody born at home? Come. Okay. Here we go. So what we got here? We got born at home. And we're going we're gonna to vote here, okay? We're going to born, born at home. C-section in the sunroom? What? No, C-section. Yeah, I got you. And birth. Okay? All right. I know you are, but this woman right here is not. And I'm going home with her. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Y'all know how to vote by clapping, right? So here's the question. We're going to vote on which one is more alive. Okay? Okay, no, wait a minute. Y'all are totally wrong. He's not, are you, are you think he's more alive because he's younger? Okay, well then you're totally right. Okay, y'all can go sit down. Here's the point. The point is not how dramatic was your birth. The point is, are you alive? Are you alive? The point is not how dramatic was your birth. The point is, were you born? Were you born? Are you born in the Spirit? Are you alive? Faith in Jesus is enough to bring birth. Okay? It's enough. So now let's look at the third. Life. What about in life? Is Jesus enough for us? Day in and day out, does he satisfy? A few weeks ago, we talked about our deepest needs and, and uh, kind of how the, what the world recognizes as our deepest needs. Jimmy Evans wrote a book called Marriage on the Rock. I, I highly recommend it. There's a chapter in that book where he talks about the question, who meets your deepest needs? And he talks about the need for acceptance, which is knowing that we're loved. The need for identity, knowing that we're significant. The need for security, knowing that we're protected and provided for. And the need for purpose, knowing that we have a reason for living. I believe that we all know deep down that Jesus should be the one we look for, look to, for our deepest needs to be met. I think we know that. The problem is that most of us don't always do that. We don't always look to Jesus. We look to other things. And when we look to other things, people, places, events, whatever it is, we inevitably experience disappointment. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. What he means by that is, I am the very thing that gives you life. And when you look to other things to find life, you'll be disappointed. And so the question is, does the contentment of your soul depend on anyone or anything other than Jesus? Do you find yourself depending on favorable circumstances 
in order to have peace and joy? What if you lost your job? What if you lost a friend? What if a loved one passed away? What if you were betrayed by those closest to you or you were persecuted because of your faith? Or or what if your life was in danger literally every day because you were a believer, because you followed Jesus? As I said earlier, I've been challenged this week by my own words as I've wrestled with this, worked on this, pushed through this. I've I've been challenged by my own words and by my own thoughts because I know that there are times when my mood or my outlook is determined more by my circumstances and my possessions than my God. Sometimes my happiness is determined by what I live on more than who I live for. Sometimes my love is conditional, but his is not. His is not. And so in those moments when I realize the humanness of my faith, I just cry out the same words that were cried out in in Scripture. God, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And and then I fall back on the words of Jesus from this very passage that, that we read today. The disciples said, Jesus, this is so hard. Who? Who could be saved? Who even? could be saved. Can anyone be saved? And Jesus said, without God, it's impossible. It is impossible. If you're trying to do it in your own strength, through your own actions, by your own grit, it's impossible. Then he says, but with God, all things are possible. With God. God, I believe. I do. Help me with my unbelief. Now let's pray. Lord, we want to trust you fully. We do. But we, we confess today that we don't always. Sometimes we trust in the things that we can see and feel. Even the things that we can put in our pocket. And quite frankly, God, you won't fit there. Help us. Help us to believe more fully, to believe more deeply, to follow more closely. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.